0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.
1: Go to the end, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer or ruler... She prepares her bread in summer, and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. Want like an armed man. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. In all toil, there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men.
0: Hey everyone, great to see you. Uh, It's so exciting to be here to unpack God's Word with you today. If we hadn't had the chance to meet yet, I'm Paul. I serve here as the Director of Discipleship, and I love being able to examine God's Word, being able to be together uh, as God's people, and really... As we continue this incredible sermon series in the book of Proverbs, looking at ancient wisdom in a digital age, we can plumb the depths and to be able to see what was written 3,000 years ago and see how it can apply to us today. We are examining this area of work. You know, uh, the average Australian, uh, if, they, if we look at their career, would spend about 80,000 hours of their lifetime on work. Now, that's a lot of time. But I want us, as we dive into this topic of work, not to get lost in thinking the work only applies to paid employment. Instead, work really is much more expansive than that. I'm going to argue that whether you are studying, whether you are being a parent, whether you are retired, or whether you are working uh, for yourself, you are engaged in this endeavor, this, uh, this sweat of your brow, this, this sense of you are working for God. See, here's the interesting thing. God himself works. And not only that, but when we look at his act of creation, the words that are used there to describe what he does in Genesis is this idea of work. And also think about that, that God himself rests. God works and he rests. And I think this paints a really important picture for us. I love how Tim Keller writes in his book, Every Good Endeavor. He says and this is talking about work, we are continuing God's work of forming, filling, and subduing. Whenever we bring out order from chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it was when we found it, we are following God's pattern of creative and cultural development. Before I joined the church and started working uh, for the church at the start of this year, I come from 17 years in the world of education. I started off as a primary school teacher, uh, teaching grade two, and across the course of my years uh, in teaching and across several private schools here in Melbourne and Adelaide, uh, I end up teaching all-year levels from prep to year 12. And I would uh, finish my career there as the head of teaching and learning responsible for over 30 teachers, the uh, whole school curriculum uh, assessment and reporting schedules, making sure that our teaching practice was uh, keeping in touch with research. Um, within all of that time, I can tell you that I noticed that there were moments when my attitude was really strong and I was kicking goals and I was ticking boxes and I felt really good about my work. And there were other times when I was pushing through moments of feeling lethargic or I was sick or I felt like I was nose to the ground or I was trying to get my reports in on time. And I'm sure that as I say those things, you can probably relate too with experiencing those various highs and lows with your attitude as you approach your work work. I also noticed this with the students that I taught. You know, I remember this one boy uh, who was in uh, a grade five class. He, uh, you know, as soon as the bell went uh, at the end of period four, he was straight away out to the oval. Uh, He'd grab his football, grab his mates, organize his game straight away. You know, he would leave everything out on the field. He would come back in from lunch, sweaty brow, probably a ripped shirt pocket, which I'm sure his parents loved that. And it was there, you know, straight off lunch, we'd dive into our maths lesson, and every, you know, possible way to avoid work was observed. You know, he will go to the bin carefully sharpen every pencil to perfection, you know, would make sure he'd stop by and check in on all the other mates in the classroom, Uh, you know, studiously arrange all the items on his desk. And I think this kind of shows that, you know, if we're being honest, there are areas of our lives where we, you know, are perhaps more naturally gifted in, areas where we have more strengths, and so we'll naturally pour more of ourselves into it, and then there are other areas where uh, that might be, you know, a little bit more uh, challenging. Here's the bottom line for us. And I want to give us this right from the outset. I think God is both concerned with what we do for work and how we work. You know, I really love what Nathan just said before there about the way that he approaches his plumbing jobs and how he represents Jesus in that and also the way that Matthew also described that within the legal sense. And I really think that ancient wisdom here and what God is calling us to is to work diligently. Whether we have a small amount of responsibility or whether we have a large amount of responsibility, we are called to work diligently. So let's fire up our Bible apps, let's get our notes section ready, and let's dive into Proverbs chapter 6, and let's consider the ant. Verse 6 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. We have to remember that within the context of the Proverbs, this is painted within a father chatting with a son, in this case, Solomon talking uh, with his son, and he's picking an observation from the insect world that helps illuminate the way that we should approach our work. Entomologists tell us that there are over 13,000 different ant species that have been catalogued uh, thus far, and with them, they often talk about how these many thousands of ants that work together in a a colony uh, are often described as a superorganism, that they work collectively for the good of the whole. In fact, there is a division of labor. There is, you know, the queen. There is the drones. There are the workers. Each knowing what they instinctually need to do. Uh, there is, uh, they have these. Uh Sort of hunters who go out and you know find paths for food, and as they do so, they leave pheromone trails, which are chemicals that are excreted from the body. That then other ants are able to follow along and be able to uh, find that food source. In fact, researchers have more recently uh, discovered that they have the ability to collectively solve very complex problems, uh, particularly sort of maze-like structures. Um, and it's been observed that they have a tutor, mentor-style learning relationship. The bottom line here is that Solomon is saying to his son, see how industrious this creature is. You know, when I was out of the park the other day, I know some ants there, and I made this observation that when do you ever see an ant not moving when it's alive? It's always doing. It's always, it's always working. But notice, by the way, it's not running. It's working methodically, and I think that helps paint an important picture for us. Let's now take a look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, without having any chief officer or ruler. Now, I don't think Solomon here is making a political comment or, uh, or talking about organizational charts or things like that. Instead, what I think he's talking about is the importance of initiative. The importance of us being able to do what we know we should do without waiting for somebody to tell us what we should be doing. Have you ever stopped for a moment and thought, what is it that prevents you from displaying initiative in your work? That's a really hard question, isn't it? I think there's an importance of learning about the way God has made us, developing our sense of self awareness. In fact, there are many personality tests and many different uh, tools out there which could help you perhaps understand the way that you process information, the way that your training uh, might have prepared you for your work. And I think that can really help you perhaps overcome some areas where you might not be displaying initiative. There are some also some common things that psychologists have taught us about the way that we are made as humans. The bystander effect is an example of where it works against our sense of initiative. This is where if we notice that somebody needs help, but we also notice that there are many others who are there around in that situation, humans are far less likely to get involved and to step into that moment. I also want to say here that um, I think this also really applies to those of us in the room who are leaders, who are managers, who God has put us in a position of responsibility. And here's the question. In what ways are you developing a sense or a culture of initiative within your workplace or if you're a parent within your home Uh, or if you're a student within your class? How are you being able to enable others, facilitate others to be able to be displaying initiative to be responsible like the ant? I love how Simon Sinek in his book, Leaders Eat Last, describes it this way. He says, the true price of leadership is the willingness to place the needs of others above your own. See, great leaders truly care about those they are privileged to lead and understand that the true cost of leadership privilege comes at the expense of self-interest. So what is the culture that you are developing around you? In what ways are you enabling others to display initiative and in what ways are you doing that? Here's an example from my world. Uh, When I was, I think I was in my third year of teaching, I was walking around the schoolyard with an assistant principal and as we'll walk along, you know, talking about really meaty curriculum matters, um, I was really engaged in the conversation, but I noticed as we were walking along, he would often stop and he would pick up rubbish and put it in the bin keep on talking, notice another bit of rubbish and without skipping a beat in the conversation, we pick it up and put it in the bin. What was he teaching me in that moment without even using words? He was saying... We know that there is something good to do and they used to pick up rubbish. We know that students are always looking at us and they follow much more what we do rather than what we say. And he was displaying that kind of leadership, that same kind of culture towards me. The Apostle Paul in Galatians paints it this way. He says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, and we and we should not give up. So then, as an opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let's take a look at verse 8 and let's be prepared like the ant. It says, She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. See, ants work in seasons, particularly in cooler climates. They need to do so to be able to survive the uh, periods of time where food is less available. Their body metabolises the fat stores during the cooler times. And this here really paints a picture about the importance of being prepared. When I uh, used to give uh, assignments that used to go over multiple periods or multiple weeks, particularly as a way of being able to train students, I would say not just here's the, the deadline that you need to get the entire project or assignment in by, but also here's some suggested time points for you to be able to make sure that you are tracking well. And what would I invariably see? I would see that there will be some students who would you know, make the most of that time, they'll make sure that they hit each one of those uh, waypoints, and they would hand in a really good piece of work relatively unstressed, and then there were other students who would use that initial time where it was a more relaxed kind of environment, just kicking back, chatting with their friends, you know, surfing the internet, uh, and invariably it then gets that real crunch time, and suddenly they would get super stressed, really worried, uh, you know, pulling their hair out, and, you know, finally deliver a product that I'm sure was less than their best, There's a real importance here that I think Solomon is teaching us about being prepared. Procrastination is something that we need to be careful of. Procrastination is where we put off our responsibilities and what needs to be done until our future self might take care of it. Um, the problem is, though, this often creates a lot of stress for us uh, at the end. A, a, a really simple, trivial example, think about Christmas present buying. Uh, how many times have I found myself uh, right there at the shops, you know, right before, uh, you know, those, those extended Christmas hours, uh, you know, right before Christmas Eve, uh, trying to gather my head and my thoughts around, oh, this family member, I know that they're like this, or did I get them that last year? Um, my wife, though, is much better. She's, you know, she really knows well ahead of time all of the uh, you know, different Christmas presents and things to be able to buy. It's a really simple example, but try and think about this. In what areas of your life can you be much more prepared? In what ways would that alleviate stress, in fact, enable you to do a much more diligent and better job? Maybe today it's you know, doing a meal prep for the week. Maybe it's looking at your uh, work schedule tonight for half an hour to an hour, uh, looking through your calendar throughout this week and really plotting and planning and seeing, when do I need to be uh, you know, meeting this deadline by? What's Okay, if I'm going to meet this obligation, then that probably means I need to have these things in place beforehand. Um, in what ways are we being like the ant and we preparing things beforehand? See, because here's the danger, and here's what Solomon is really uh, warning us against. He says, don't be a sluggard. So we want to, as people of God, looking at this ancient wisdom, we want to avoid the way of the sluggard. Twice in this one proverb, Solomon uses this word sluggard. Other translations put this as lazy bones, slacker, lazy one, or slothful one. And I can tell you, none of us want to be called that term. You know, I grew up in Hillsville. Uh, it was an incredible, beautiful property that I grew up in. Um, and lots of you know, native shrubs, gum trees, lots of bark on the ground. And when as a kid, I'll go along and I'll pick up a bit of bark that had been there for quite some time, lots of moisture. What would I see underneath it? A slug. Now, if you've never seen a slug before, um, it's not the prettiest of creatures. I'm sure God intended them for lots of good things. Um, think of a snail just without the shell. Uh, think of this gelatinous, slimy, slow-moving kind of creature. Um, it's, it's very lethargic. It, and here's a really interest, re- interesting thing. I don't know if Solomon meant this by uh, intent, but think about it this way. An ant, so he's comparing an ant to a slug, these two insects. An ant is, an, is a vertebrae. It has a backbone. What does a slug have? Nothing. It, it is an invertebrate. It doesn't have a backbone. And Solomon here is being really scathing when he talks about uh, avoiding this sense of laziness. In another proverb, it says... Uh, this is Proverbs twenty six fifteen. It says, "A sluggard buries his hand in the dish; he's too lazy to even bring it to his mouth." <laughs> that is intense. That is. Uh, that's like the most extreme version of laziness that I could ever think of. And by the way, he's not saying if they, they don't have the capacity to. He's saying like they do actually have the capacity to feed themselves. Hey, if you notice that there are areas of your life, and I'm sure as, as just like with me, I have examined and, and seen that there have been areas where I have a tendency towards laziness. A way of being able to overcome laziness, I think, is what psychologists refer to as examining your locus of control. See, those who have an external locus of control are those who wait for uh, external stimuli to provide the impetus to go about doing something that they need to do. They often uh, externalize uh, all the things that are circumstantial to them. Whereas somebody who has an internal locus of control doesn't wait for external stimuli, but instead goes about it from an internal motivation perspective. They are the ones who display that high sense of initiative. And I encourage you, if this is maybe touching on something for yourself, to go and explore the the locus of control. Here's the danger though, I don't think this then means that we are called to hustle. Rest is important too. Let's examine the rest of the proverb. Solomon writes, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Let's say from the top, rest is important. God himself rested. So that's not what he's talking about here. And right at this moment, I'll, I'll refer you for a really robust unpacking of work and rest to Andy Judd's sermon a couple of months ago in the Vine Trolls Crow series, where he did a terrific job of really unpacking work and rest. See, work and rest each have their proper place. But what I think Solomon here is not talking about good rest. Instead, what I think he's talking about here is saying to his son, avoid Cutting corners, avoid taking shortcuts... If I were to think of a TV character that exemplifies this sluggard-like behavior, I think of George Costanza in Seinfeld. I mean, the guy was famous for basically taking every opportunity to avoid work. In fact, he even built a sort of like a special container under underneath his desk uh, where he could be able to take naps during the daytime. And I'm not saying naps aren't good, naps are good. The problem is the attitude that's going on by George in that. Solomon here is also describing what was very true for the ancient Near East 3,000 years ago, where if a farmer did not make proper use of the seasons and they did not manage the crops and the fields well, it could quite literally lead to famine or starvation. Poverty here, though, I'll refer us back to what John Tyson talked about last week, and I would encourage you to go and examine why it is as Christians that we should really fight against poverty. So please go back and take a look at that. His key argument is that it deprives us of human dignity. Going back to laziness, I love how John Bloom, a writer for the Desiring God blog, puts it this way. He says, Most people do not want to be thought of as lazy, as a person adverse to hard work. We all know laziness is a vice, a corrupting and addictive use of a good gift. Rest. Leisure in proper doses is a wonderful, refreshing gift of God. But habitual indulgence in leisure to the neglect of God-given responsibilities brings destruction both to ourselves and to others, So let's make sure that we avoid being like the sluggard. In preparation for this sermon, I've been thinking through these different terms that we use to describe our approach to work. And so I've developed a diagram, which I'm calling the work approaches quadrant, um, still in a state of, uh, you know, like I'm sure it can be refined even further. But I thought that this might be useful for us to be able to examine these different terms. See, I think when we think about our work, there's two axes to consider. There is both the time that we put into a task, we invest into a task, and there's also the amount of effort that we put into the task. You notice in the bottom left that we have laziness. As we've just explored, laziness is something that we definitely want to avoid. This is where there's low effort and low time put into a task. I also don't think that this means that we need to shoot directly opposite and to be perfectionists, I don't think that is what God is calling us to. I, that's where we you know, put an inordinate amount of time and effort into something beyond what is reasonable and good and proper. It is in fact trying to, in a sense, let our work speak uh, more than it should. So I don't think perfectionism is that. In fact, perfectionism ultimately leads to this, this sense of um, you know, absolute exhaustion, um, which I don't think is what God is calling us to. Nor do I think it is hustle. Hustle really comes from a false belief that the more that we work, the more we are valuable but as we know, our value and our true worth comes from being a child of God. We are made in God's image. That is where our true work comes from. And you notice that when hustle culture really exemplifies trying to compress the amount of time that we take on a task and maximize that amount of effort. Uh, But really I don't think that's a sustainable practice. And the same way that perfectionism, psychologists have pointed out, often leads to burnout, I also think that uh, hustle uh, in that undue amount of effort in trying to compress into too much time also is unhealthy for us. I also don't think that procrastination, as I mentioned earlier, is the answer, where we keep on deferring and deferring and deferring tasks, which might, you might know, seem that we put in a small amount of effort, but then we suddenly need to get this thing done all in a moment, and it takes actually much more time uh, than what is required. Here's a question. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to take one minute and talk about this. I think that the answer is diligence. Where do you think diligence belongs on this chart? Take 30 seconds. Okay, I'll show you where I think diligence is, but I'm very happy for you to also arrive at a completely different, <laughs> completely different definition. <laughs> How many people said, "Yeah, that's sort of roughly where I, were, where I was sort of landing"? Cool. Happy, of course, for you to paint it in a different way. Let's examine. Let's examine what I mean by this sense of diligence, uh, because I think this is really. Pivotal to us working well uh, for Jesus. The Old Testament and the New Testament both urge diligence. Here's two examples. Proverbs thirteen four says, "The soul of a sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied." The Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. I love this dictionary definition of diligence. It is the constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken, consistency in the performance of duty or the conduct of business, persistent exertion of body or mind, and that's why I sort of positioned diligence a little bit sort of higher than probably what is you know perhaps natural, and also positioned it uh, in terms of the amount of effort required as perhaps what might be comfortable. But again, different tasks perhaps that you face and obligations and responsibilities that you face might require you to push perhaps in a little bit more of a different direction. Remember that here Solomon is comparing the ant and really looking at how this creature is being industrious and working well. I think there's a tendency within our culture, and I've noticed this within myself, to lean too much into this sense of optimization or as it might often get portrayed in the way that we go about our work, is endless research. You know, my wife and I, we love being able to travel and explore this incredible world that God has made and all the different cultures on the planet. But I have noticed that there have been times where we have spent ridiculous amounts of work, you know, time and effort as we explore a hotel to stay. At. We examine every different, you know, TripAdvisor, we, you know, review, we, we examine a thousand different websites trying to find that perfect spot. Um, and in many ways, we actually, we're, we're subtracting away from other areas of our lives where we should be pouring that time and our effort into. Diligence, I think, really helps us understand that we are working for God. And we need to steward not just our money but also our time and our effort and our energy to be able to bring it into its right and proper places. Think about this for for a moment. You go see a doctor and you notice that the doctor uh, hasn't updated their um, professional development in 10 years. Uh, you notice that when you chat with them, that they just uh, breeze through the appointment. Uh, they barely ask any questions. They just, you know, they seem to be just going through the motions. They don't even seem to be noticing you there. In other words, they're not being diligent. Who would want to go s- see that doctor again? Now, let me let me ask the more personal and difficult question: Who? is relying on you to be diligent. And I say that to myself as well. Remember Jesus in the garden? He's there at the Garden of Gethsemane, and he notices uh, in that hour of need, he says to his disciples, come pray with me. And what do they do? They fall asleep. We don't want to be like that. So where is an area in your life that you need to be more diligent? Are you a student who is working on a variety of different assignments and really needs to figure out the system of work to be able to uh, be really diligent with all that, all that research and all that assignments that you need to complete? Uh, who is relying on you within perhaps a group assignment? Uh, As parents, who is relying on you? As grandparents, who is relying on you to be diligent? Uh, As an employee or a boss, who who is relying on you to be diligent with the things that God has given you? I encourage us to work diligently. Solomon says in Proverbs 12, 14, from the fruit of a mouth, a man is satisfied with good and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Work is good. Work is a good gift. And I mean work in the fullest sense, as I explained at the start. When we work, as both Nathan and Matt pointed to, we work for God. We represent Jesus when we work. I encourage you, if you want to come along and unpack this further, come on to the Faith and Work event Uh, which is happening on the 30th of October, Monday, the 30th of October. I encourage you to come along and explore what does it mean when Jesus shows up in the workplace. Think about the way that we are being diligent. Work also gives us meaning and purpose uh, when it is in its right and proper place. But also notice that God has given us different levels of capacity, the parable of the talent really shows that you know, to some, there is a great measure of responsibility and obligation and capacity to meet uh, those uh, needs, and then to some, there are less. And I recognize that within the room, there are some people who perhaps are not able to work to the degree that you want to. I understand I get it. Maybe it's low energy. Maybe there's you know, uh, physical or mental uh, reasons why that might be the case. Maybe there's difficult life circumstances. Maybe you're not working your dream job. Maybe you moved to Australia and your degree is not recognized here. Maybe you're in a situation of un- underemployment or, in fact, unemployment, and I'm sorry that you're going through that time at the moment. Or maybe you're going through a season at the moment where life's going really well and you feel like you're kicking goals and you feel like that you have a great capacity. Regardless of which either end we find ourselves in and whatever season of life that God has for us at the moment, I urge us, I implore us to be diligent with what it is that we have to the degree and the capacity that we are able. Because when we do so, we represent God. Work itself can be incredibly satisfying. Think about the words that Jesus tells at the end of that parable of the talents. Those words that we cannot wait to hear. He says, to those who have run the race well, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Think about the, the fruit of the spirit. One of those fruits of the spirit is faithfulness. Maybe a prayer for us can be, Father, help me to be more diligent. Grow within me this fruit of faithfulness that I might be able to do what you have put in front of me. Here's the bottom line. We are called to be diligent. We are called to be diligent in all the areas that God has given us responsibilities and obligations for. Because as followers of Jesus, we are called to be diligent with much, and diligent with little. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we thank you for all the good gifts which you have given us, all the skills, all the talents, all the abilities that you have given us. Father, we thank you for work and how good it can be, what a gift it can be. We also recognize, though, that there are areas within us where we need to improve, where we need to uh, become more diligent in. We recognize that there are areas within us where we perhaps stray to perfectionism or we stray to procrastination or we lean too much into ourselves with try to hustle. Father, help us to find our true value and our true worth in you and you alone. And from that, let us be able to work for your glory and for our good. We love you, Father. We thank you so much for everything that you have given us. Help us to go into this week, into the rest of this day, working diligently for you. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church,